or turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus. I'm going to invite the, those that are teaching our kids to come down and receive them at the door. If you're second grade and under, you'd like to go to Children's Church, you can walk down and line up here at the door. Come on down, Josh. All right. Appreciate y'all teaching them today. Your kids will hear the gospel in an age-appropriate way today, and we're excited about that. We're thankful for our teachers. I know there's a lot of, lot of people out. We're, it's kind of slim pickings today. A lot of people are out of town uh, traveling, and school just let out. So um, a lot of people are out. If you're uh, most of our people, when they're out, they listen to us. Uh, so many of our folks are uh, listening even now. But when, uh, when a lot of people are out of town, we kind of have to do some patchwork on who's teaching and shuffling. But um, we got her done this morning, so we're thankful for you. What do we do when we sing? You know, we sing on Sunday mornings. Uh, every Sunday morning we sing truth. We preach truth, right? But we sing truth. What are we doing there besides teaching truth? Think about it just for a second. What are you doing you know, we talk about it all the time. We sing these songs that we want our children, and we want to sing all through the week. And some of you have children that do that. I have one that sings in my house all the time. So the songs that we sing, the song of Moses, he'll be singing that song all during the week. And um, that's what we want. We want our kids, and we want to be singing these songs. And I appreciate Blake and Jenny and the team and putting all that together and, and, and singing for us. But Jenny says this all the time. You know, when we're singing this music, we're teaching truth. But we're also, we're preparing uh, one another to die. Think about it. Some of us will be taken just like that, right? Unexpectedly. Uh, but some won't. And as you're on your deathbed, you know what you'll do? Um, we'll, we'll be praying, right, for you that you'll persevere in your faith. But you'll be thinking of Scripture. And you'll be singing songs. And I'd encourage you, if you have a, someone that's um, in their last days, one of the great, greatest things you can do is just sing this truth uh, to them, this, these true songs. And we're preparing, preparing one another to die. Because on our deathbed, that's what we want to do. We'll be singing these praises and singing this truth to the Lord, quoting Scripture. So I'm so thankful uh, for this good music. Exodus. We're going to be doing something different. If you're visiting with us, this is something different we normally don't do. We do expository preaching here. It's what we do every Sunday morning. We've been walking through the book of Exodus verse by verse, and we finished last week uh, chapter 40. But I thought this week uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do an overview of the book. And um, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to share what you've learned. And if you're visiting with if you're listening via facebook live what i want to ask you to do at that time is you be able to share with your family with one another what you've learned from the book of exodus and how you're applying that to your lives either or what you've learned or, or what you've applied to your life already okay so i want to share a picture with you um jenny and i we went to rigby idaho uh, a few weeks ago to visit pastor scott and jennifer in uh south fork outdoorsman church in Rigby, Idaho. It's Mormon country. And um, Morgan, he's not a Mormon. Uh, he's dressed like one this morning. Um, and the reason I say that, uh, they did Jeopardy this morning. And um, 
uh, in this student small group, and they had a ball. They've been looking forward to it. It's the way they learn, and it's a good time. If you got students, middle school, high school, you want your kids to be involved in what's going on here at the church. A lot of good things going on. But the reason I say that is I was just out in Rigby. And I was dressing for, for church, and they're real casual, kind of like us. And, and I said, well, what, what do you want me to wear, Pastor Scott? He said, just don't wear a white button-down Oxford and a tie. You'll be all right. They don't do that out there because that's what the Mormons wear, and they try not to look Mormon, right? That's why they're churches. They don't have steeples, and they have church buildings. They just have regular buildings, and that's where they have their churches. But, but anyway, we're, we're out in, in uh, the West, and we were visiting with the church. I had a great visit. Shared a little bit about that last week. But here we are. Gene and I, we went to Yellowstone. It's the, the first national park of our uh, country. And many beautiful things to see there. Uh, many of you have, have been there. Um, one of the beautiful things to see are these hot springs. They're like uh, hot springs, mud pots, and geysers. Really interesting place to be in. Um, but this one is particularly beautiful. And here, Gene and I, we're uh, at this grand prismatic spring. They're all got names for them. But this is the Grand Prismatic Spring, and you see the, the color. Uh, and it pulls out larger than the football field. And then you can look there, you can see all the different colors and what's going on there. And um, there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of bacteria that, that grow in those springs, um, believe it or not. And so that's the reason for all the color. But here's the second view of this same place. And if you'll see behind, there's... Uh, there's cars going down the, the road, and there's a little walkway there, and that's where Jenny and I took, the, uh, took that picture, uh, the north side of that, that spring. It's a, it's a walkway that you have to walk on. And um, this is a better view, isn't it? Um, this is a, what you call a bird's-eye view of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's taken by a drone, but isn't that something? It's beautiful. Like I said, that's bigger than a football field, all the color. It's, it's amazing. The Lord has created a, a, a beautiful world, hasn't he, Brother Ronald? A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. But what we're going to do today is, um, see, you can't see from that drone picture the details, right? It's just kind of a bird's eye view. And so that's kind of what we're going to do this morning of the book of Exodus. We've studied through it verse by verse. We studied Sunday morning in your small groups you're studying. And uh, this morning we're going to kind of take a bird's eye view of this book. We won't see all the details. We're going to see the big themes and be thinking as we're walking through here. I'll, be, I'll try to be pointing those things out, what we learn about the Lord from this text. Now, this is a book, the book of the law, right? The first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament are books of Moses, all penned by Moses, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And all four of these, or all five of these books are called the Pentateuch or the law. Now, um, this is a, a written account of the history of the nation of Israel, how it was birthed and how they became God's chosen people. And when we began the study of Exodus, I'm an outline guy. I love outlines. And so there's many ways to outline this book, but here's the way we're, we've outlined it and kind of how we're going to navigate through this book today. You see the first uh, 12 chapters is their experience in Egypt. They're in bondage, remember, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. God providentially took them, the whole family, to Egypt, where Joseph saved the, the nation. He saved his family. And as a result of Joseph, because God was with him, 
The nation of Egypt prospered. It's the greatest country in the world at this time. We're going to see when they get delivered from Egypt, they're going to travel. They're leaving Egypt. They're going where? They're going to the promised land, right? They have a destination because they have a land that's been promised to them, and that's where they're heading towards. And so that's chapters 12 through 18. And then chapter 19 through 40, of course, is at Sinai, about an 11-month period of time. They're at the base of that mountain, and they're going to receive the law, which is going to tell them the Ten Commandments, how they're to conduct themselves when they go into the land, but also how to build the tabernacle and the purpose of that. So you think about the first five books of the Bible. You have Genesis, and then immediately following Genesis, Exodus, and it's just in chronological order. In Genesis, you saw human effort and human failure. In the book of Exodus, you see divine power and divine triumph. And the purpose of the book, if I said, what's the purpose of the book of Exodus? Think the purpose of the book is to reveal to us the one true God, the one who redeems his people so that he may dwell with them. Okay? So let's think about this book. You've got your, your Bible turned over to the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible with you, pick up that black pew Bible there, page 53. We'll start Exodus. And the reason we didn't do a scripture reading this morning is we're going to peruse through the book of Exodus. We're going to be flipping and reading together. I would encourage you to do that. It'll help you stay awake this morning. Dalton, you all right? What time did you go to bed last night, buddy? What time? All right, about 11. All right, we'll see how you do today, okay? If you, uh, if you can stay awake, we might let you stay up to 11. If not, Bo, we might have to start doing about 8.39 Saturday night, okay? All right, you got your Bible there, Dalton? You ready to go, buddy? All right, Exodus. Think about what's going on at, at the end of the book of Genesis, the beginning of Exodus. They're in Egypt, and they've been there how long? You remember? 400 years, yeah, 400 years. Um They've been there 400 years, and they've been, think about where they've been. They've been in Egypt. It's a pagan country. They've been surrounded by idol worship. They've been there 400 years. Um, and think about these books. They're written after these events took place. And the reason they're, they're written is to remind the Israelites who they were, who God was, and how they became God's chosen people. But even for generations afterwards, right, to remind them of God's goodness to the, the people of, of, of Israel. But as I told you, before we dig down deep in this and, and, and look at it, what I want to do is give you an opportunity. Has there been anything that you've learned that you're like, hey, I'd like to express this. This is what I've learned. This is maybe something I never thought before. This is something that I was reminded of, something that's been really helpful for me these last, uh, this last year, these last few months. Anybody, what I'm going to do is just you can stand or you don't have to if you feel all squirrely. Just mention something that you've learned, and what I'll try to do is I'll try to Try to repeat that so the folks listening can, can hear. Anybody, anything that you've learned from the book of Exodus, anything you apply to your life, anything that's been really, really helpful for you? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when we're reading through, we just kind of passing through. We pass over a lot of things, right? We just slow down, take it slowly, right? And that's the wonderful thing about what we're doing as far as how we're preaching and teaching. Uh, we can uh, teach through a text, and there's some things we just don't have time to cover, but we can do that in our small groups, and it's been good. It's been good for us. Somebody else?
kind of giving them a lot of leeway, but he's letting them, you know, he's just kind of harder on them. Uh, but in Exodus 33, uh, 19, uh, he said, I'll be gracious to him, I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy on him, I'll show mercy. So, like, why does he do that? He's going to be gracious to those he wants to show grace to. He's going to be merciful to those he wants to yeah. show mercy because he, he decides. Yeah, he decides. He's sovereign, right? Yeah, he gets to choose because he's God. And he has that right, doesn't he? Yeah. The potter, Evan, can he do with the, the pot what he wants to, right, if he makes it? Yeah, good. Somebody else? Yeah, I think that's been really good for me too. We'll, we'll, we'll review that today, but the Lord's transcendent. Right? When Blake made mention of that in in our worship time, the mountains quaking and the people couldn't approach the mountain. Why? Because God is so much higher than we are, right? He's holy and he's transcendent. But yet he's redeeming this people both so that he can dwell with his people. Then in the book, what does he do? He dwells there in the in the tabernacle. That, manifest physical presence of God right there in the middle of the camp. Yeah, it's good. Somebody else? Yeah. That's right. That's good. Yeah, sometimes we focus on the sins of commission, right? And we don't we we don't always think about the sins of omission. Equally sinful, right? Yeah, how many of you have been reluctant to obey the Lord this week? Yeah, everybody, right? Yeah, we, we, we obey, but we obey re reluctantly sometimes, right? Yeah, that's good. Good, Alyssa. Anybody else? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. I bet in small group it'd be tough for me to stay in Exodus instead of being, you know, you want to jump to Hebrews. You know, if you have to, it's that balance, you know. And yeah, Hebrews tells us is a there's a greater mediator, right? A better covenant, but that tabernacle. And I think the tabernacle it wasn't quite as I think some of were thinking that was really going to be painful. It wasn't quite as painful as you thought uh, going through the the tabernacle and the furnishings and. It's good. Somebody else? Good. Michael? Symbolism can be odd and awkward to us, but it's important to God. Um, that's why we have symbolism today and the Lord's Supper and the baptism. Yeah. 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 Help us remember, 
right? I mean, the Passover was the Passover. It was a feast to help them remember what God had done, right, in the first Passover. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, we have an obligation, don't we, as believers? That's one of our characteristics of a believer, right? We take care of the the needy, meeting physical needs and spiritual needs. It's good. Good. Anybody else? Yeah, it didn't take long, did it? Forty days, and they were wayward, right? Good. During the Exodus journey, uh, God provided for them daily, both spiritually and physically, and that challenged me to uh, trust the Lord daily for yeah. physical spiritual needs rather than trying to rest on my abilities. Yeah, good. Manna, and we, we, we read that, we think about manna, but you know how long that lasted? How long did God give manna to the people of Israel? How long? Yeah, until they reached the promised land. It was like, you know, sometimes, they, oh, that was just a short time they got to the Mount Sinai. No, it was, a, it was a daily provision for them. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. Good. Good. All right, let's look at chapter 1. Real quickly, we're just going to walk through this, point out a few things that um, kind of, like I said, from a bird's eye view, but the Hebrews, they're in Egypt, right? And they're growing rapidly. Their population is growing exponentially, it seems like. Look at chapter 1, verse 7 through 11. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king in Egypt. Who did not know Joseph? And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. That, um, that Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, didn't know Joseph who helped make the nation prosper. And he viewed the Hebrews as a threat, and so he enslaved them. But look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Why, why were they, despite their enslavement and oppression, why did they multiply? Yeah, God was with them because he was a promise keeper. One first thing we see in the book of Exodus is God keeps his promise. Do you remember the promise to Abraham? Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. We'll put that up there for you. We don't have to turn. We'll stay right here in Exodus. I will surely bless you, as God speaking to Abraham, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. God 
reiterated that promise to Abraham several times. They were growing and becoming a great nation because God had promised that that would indeed happen. In fact, Pharaoh was so afraid that he put many of the baby boys to death. He had them thrown into the Nile. Remember he told the, the Hebrew midwives, if it's a baby girl, let her live. If it's a baby boy, throw it in the Nile. But of course they did not obey. That happened with during the time when Moses was born. Providentially, God protected Moses. He was put into a basket instead of being thrown into the Nile when he couldn't be hidden any longer. He was found, ironically, providentially, by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's household. But Moses didn't forget his heritage, did he? He one day saw a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian taskmaster. And what did, what did Moses do? Yeah, he, he put that man to death with his own hands and buried him in the sand. Moses ended up leaving the city, remember, out of fear. And he escapes to the countryside where he begins his own family. He was married, began to have children. He was a, a shepherd for his father-in-law. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 23, 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The people, they cried to the Lord because they're suffering. Where is God? What about the promises he gave to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Even though they're growing exponentially, they couldn't see the providence of God, right? And so they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. It, it didn't seem like God was near. It didn't seem like God was with them. But God heard their cry. And from a burning bush, Moses gave a call to Moses to go back and tell the Egyptian king to let God's people go. And Moses... Alyssa, he, he went reluctantly, didn't he? And he tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. Look at chapter 6, verse 2 and through 8. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. That's the promised land the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from, the slavery, from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Isaac, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Well, God said he would keep his promise, and that, in fact, he did. But it's interesting. What's he want to do here? We see it time and time again. He wants to reveal himself to his people so they will know that I am the Lord. Well, the story continues. You can probably tell the story, can't you? If I had, hey, give me a five-minute synopsis of the story of Exodus, you should be able to, you probably could 
could tell that story. But Pharaoh, what did he do? Did he let the people go? No, he refused. And God began to pour out judgments, or what we call plagues, on Egypt. We see that in chapter 7 through 12. And during the plagues, what is God doing? Yeah, he's going to use those plagues to rescue his people. But by doing so, by pouring out these plagues, they're, they're specific. When we think about the, the plagues, that's one of the things that the children are going to learn this summer. Learn the plagues in order, water to blood. What's God doing there? Well, God's opposing this God, Osiris, this river God. That's where they draw their, they think their, their, their life source from, the Nile. So what is God doing? He's opposing this false God. And what about the frogs? There's a, there's a, a false God, Hecker, who he's opposing. What about gnats? There's a false God who's called Geb. He's the God of the earth. And you remember what happened at that plague? God says, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. So Aaron, I mean, Aaron takes his, his staff and he hits the dust. And from that dust, from the earth, what happens? turns into gnats and envelops the people. Death of the livestock. What's God doing there? Well, they had three false gods, all made up looking like livestock, right, that were related to fertility. And what is God doing? He's opposing those false gods. And it's the livestock of the Egyptians die. What about the boils? Think about those magicians. Remember the magicians? Isn't it interesting at, at the beginning of the judgments, Jake, when, when God would do something through Moses, the magicians would imitate it, and they could do some of those things at first. But you know what happened? When the, the boils, what they would do is they would take ash and they would throw it up when they would pronounce a blessing on somebody. It was kind of like as the, as the ash descended, it dispersed blessings on people. So Moses takes the ash and he throws it up in the air. And what happens? Everybody begin to have boils, including the magicians. So what's God doing? He's opposing these sorcerers of Egypt, and he's showing himself to be mighty. He continues on. Hail, you have this false god of nut, the sky goddess. Well, God is opposing him. The, the plague of the locust. There's a, a god of productivity that he's opposing Think about Egypt. They were left unproductive and impotent. Darkness. We've talked about this. The sun god, Ra. What is God doing? He's showing himself to be supreme over these false gods. And then lastly, the last plague is, is what? You remember? Yeah, death of the firstborn. And what is he doing there? He's opposing Pharaoh himself. What did, what did Pharaoh, their Pharaoh had, had done? He had ordered the newly born Hebrew baby boys to be thrown into the Nile. And now in Egypt, there's not going to be one house that didn't have grieving, including Pharaoh's, because God is showing himself omnipotent. Pharaoh hardens his heart, doesn't he? He refused to let God's people go, and God continues to pour out his wrath upon the people of Egypt. And it's interesting, even though Pharaoh, the first five judgments, Pharaoh hardens his heart. The last five, God hardens his heart. But as his heart is hardening, the Egyptian people's hearts are breaking. 
Look at chapter 9, verse 10 through 11. We talked about the, the boils. They took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Look at chapter 10, verse 7. The plague of the locust was upon them. And Pharaoh's servants, look what it says. How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So as Pharaoh's heart is hardening, the people of Israel, their heart's breaking because they recognize their false gods. Their idols are worthless, powerless before Yahweh. They had seen enough. They're, they're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to cry uncle. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh had put to death the sons of Israel. God, he promises in this last plague to put to death the firstborn of each household. But unlike Pharaoh, God gives away an opportunity for the Israelites to escape his wrath by taking the blood of a Passover lamb and placing that blood on the door frames of their houses. And that night, as the Lord passed over the houses with blood over them, but every house that didn't have the blood, he took the life of that firstborn. Every Egyptian home grieved that night, but the Israelites were saved by a Passover lamb. And with this blow to the Egyptians, God is showing his omnipotence. He's showing his mercy And also his justice. So Pharaoh had no choice, did he? He let God's people go. And so when we study this Old Testament, we always ask, what's this teach about the Lord? And that's kind of what we're doing here with this bird's eye view. But I think another thing we ask as we study the scriptures is in the Old Testament, we ask, does this text point us to Christ? Think about the Passover. Why were the Israelites, their firstborn, why were they saved? You want to say, well, because they're God's chosen people, but that would not be the right answer. Yeah, they're God's chosen people, but they were saved then. Think about all these plagues that have taken place. They're in, where are they? Where are they living in Egypt? Yeah, in Goshen, right? And all these plagues are taking place, right? The flies and the frogs and the boils and the death of livestock, the hail, the locust. But they're in Goshen. The Israelites, they're living high on the hog, so to speak. Things are going well for them. But it's interesting, this last plague, why were the Israelites saved? It wasn't because they're Hebrews. What were they saved by? They're saved by the blood of the Passover lamb. This feast was to be kept every year as an annual reminder of God's goodness and how God spared them through the blood of this lamb. And we get to the new covenant. Jesus, remember, is called by John the Baptist the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all who are covered in the blood of this Lamb will be saved from death and sin. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul, again, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. See, the Hebrews weren't saved. Their children weren't saved because they were Hebrews, but because of the blood of this lamb. And think about it. Jesus, he came to save not just the Jew, but the Jew and the Gentile. In fact, Romans chapter 10 tells us, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All meaning all without distinction, right? Male, female, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. That kind of includes everybody, right? So God in Exodus chapters 1 through 12, His desire is to deliver His people and reveal Himself. Not just to the Israelites, but to the Egyptians as well. You think when they left Egypt with all of their all of their money, they understood who was God, right? Well, the second part of the trip is road trip to Sinai. They're on the road here. They left Egypt. They're leaving Egypt, and they're headed towards the Promised Land where they'll stop at Sinai. So after the Passover, Pharaoh didn't have a choice. He let God's people go, and no sooner did he leave them or let them leave, that he changed his mind and he pursues the Israelites to the Red Sea where God delivers, I guess you could call it a knockout blow. And what does God do? He protects the people, remember, with the pillar of cloud. He protects them from the pursuing Egyptian army. And what does Moses do? He raises his, raises his hand and the, the waters part and the wind causes the waters part and they walk across on dry land. And when the Egyptians pursue on that same dry land, again, Moses stretched out his hand and the waters met again, resulting in every Egyptian soldier dying. Look at chapter 14, verse 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his, and his servant Moses. The nation is saved yet again by God as he uses Moses as his prophet, as his mediator. But I want to point out something uh, quickly. Notice God's presence. It's, it's not an imminent presence at this point. Remember, it's progressive revelation. God is going to redeem the people, James, because he wants to dwell with his people. But what do we see here? Do you see not an imminent presence, but notice God leads them. He leads them by by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I mean, can you, can you imagine the relief that they had as they saw this cloud and this fire? It's a reminder that God was with them, even though he was at a, somewhat of a distance. But despite God's continuing presence, the Hebrews had an ongoing trust issue, didn't they, as they traveled. As they're on this road trip to the promised land, what do they do? They grumble at Marah because the water they found was bitter. So what did the Lord do? He made it sweet. They ran out of food and grumbled to Moses about that. So what did the Lord do? He rained manna from heaven. 
Look at chapter 16, verse 11 and 12. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. What's God doing? He's revealing himself to his people. He's providing for their needs, but he's revealing himself and his character to his people. What does it teach us about the Lord? Well, he's merciful as he provides for his people. He's patient. He's long-suffering. Skip Heidsick, he, he wrote this about this experience. It was like the worst family vacation ever with the people trapped in the family station wagon with no air conditioning and no satisfying answer to the question, are we there yet? They're on this trip, and they're nagging and complaining. And great. We've all, if you have kids, you've all had that experience, right? By the time you're doing like this, right? You're swinging from the front seat trying to hit something. Yeah, that's what we see here. They're grumbling, right? Again, at Masa and Meribah, God brought forth water from a rock to quench their thirst. Look at chapter 17, verse 7. And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? See, the Lord promised to be with them, but they doubted his provision. They provided his presence. They doubted his word. And then the third, the third part of this story is their experience at Sinai. They arrive at Mount Sinai where God reveals himself in two different ways. First is by revealing the law, by making a covenant with them called the Mosaic Covenant. And secondly, having them build the tabernacle which God fills with his presence. Chapters 19 through 40, they're at Sinai and God gave them the law. It's interesting how the Ten Commandments, God spoke and they they heard his words and they trembled and they dared not allow him to communicate with them directly. And so they asked Moses to receive that revelation from God and pass it on to them. But this law revealed God's will to his people. Did, did God really have a right to demand such things like, you shall have no other gods before me? You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Does he have a right to say that. I think he did. Look at chapter 20, verse 2. Before he spoke these Ten Commandments, revealed his will to the people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And he goes on, you shall have no other gods before me. Does God have a right? Yeah. He's the one who redeemed them. Not only did he create them and sustain them, but he, he redeemed them. He rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh and of course he has a right to demand, make demands of them. And to have a God who communicates with them, reveal, revealing his will, allowing people to know him, that set Israel apart. And then we have the tabernacle being built. What's God doing? He's moving from being outside the camp to wanting to dwell inside the camp. Look at chapter 25, verse 4. 89. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. 
God tells them why he wants it built, right? That I may dwell in their midst. We have a God who's transcendent. He's holy and he's all-powerful, but yet he wants to dwell in the midst of his people. And as the blueprints were described to Moses, that's how it was put together. Look at chapter 26, verse 30. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Chapter 27, verse 8, speaking of just one piece of furniture, the bronze altar, you shall make it hollow with boards as it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be made. I think Jenny had mentioned that this morning. We come to the Lord on His terms. You do it this way. There's a specific way that you are going to build this tabernacle and you're going to worship me there, but you're going to do it in a way that I've orchestrated and described. After the covenant was broken with the golden calf, Moses once again goes up Mount Sinai. He receives new tablets. Look at chapter 34, verse 8 and 9. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a, sti a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. O Lord, please go in the midst of us. The desire is for God to have God in the midst of his people, and for God, his desire is to be with his people. He is transcendent. We come to God on His terms, but yet He wants to dwell with His people. How was God present with them? We see this, again, progressively, the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night leading them. They provide miraculously for their needs, giving them victory over the Amalekites. The smoke and the quaking and the physical manifestation of His presence on the mountain is He delivers the Ten Commandments. Hearing the voice, God's voice, thunder, what about the tabernacle, the furniture? What about the golden lampstand to be lit to burn perpetually? Pointing us to the presence of God. And then you have the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle as it's completed. Look at chapter 40, verse 34. As they've obeyed, they assembled the tabernacle, put it together just as the Lord had commanded. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the houses of Israel throughout all their journeys. You see this progressive revelation as God is somewhat distant, showing himself to finally being in their midst. The Lord rescued his people from Egypt so he could be with his people. God wants to be with his people 
As we move to the new covenant in a more intimate way, think about Jesus dying for sinners, making atonement for sin. He, like Moses, mediates for God's people. But we've said time and time again, as we keep looking to the book of Hebrews, this mediation is better. Jesus' mediation is far better than what Moses mediated. And why is that? Well, because the Lord, after he was made a sacrifice for sin, he was buried, he rose on the third day. He revealed himself to his disciples and 40 some odd days later he ascended into heaven. But he told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem because the helper's coming. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Under the new covenant, we still come to God on his terms, right? How do we come to God? We come to God on his terms. We come to God yielded, right? And we approach him through his son who's made atonement for sin. We don't come to God thinking, well, you know, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to try to read my Bible every day. I'm going to church. I'm going to treat my people rightly. That's how I'm going to approach. That's not God's terms. You don't come to God that way. You come to God repenting of sin and trusting Christ's work on the cross as your own. You know, come on, I'm going I'm to do, I'm going to do, I'm wrong. You come to God on His terms saying, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've lived my life this way. But I don't want to live like that any longer. I recognize that Jesus died in my stead, in my place. He took the punishment that I deserve. He received the wrath that I deserve. He was buried. He rose so that I could be made right with God. Amen. And God, I'm trusting you trust in what Jesus did he did that for me he died for me he bore my wrath he was raised for me so that I could be made right with you and God I want to turn from my sin and I want to trust you and live for you I want to be yours and the new covenant that's what it means to come to God on his terms no matter if you're Red, yellow, black, and white. You're a boy, a girl, man, or woman. You got a lot of money or you got a little money. Real smart or not quite so smart. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Are you, have you come to God on His terms? We see the book of Exodus. God redeeming his special people, this nation of Israel. But he's doing that so he can dwell with them in their midst, in that tabernacle. But now we live in the new covenant era and he wants to live, he wants to indwell us with his spirit.
That's what happens when you repent and you trust Christ. We're given that God himself dwells us in a much better way than he ever did the tabernacle. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? If not, won't you repent trust Christ today? It's been a good study. We've learned a lot with teaching here on Sunday morning in our small groups. The small group leaders have done a great job, and I know we've learned a lot. It's been good for us. We're going to move on. Next week, we're going to have a couple weeks. We're going to talk about the church, remind us of our vision and goal and what the purpose of the church is. I know some of you, we've got seven or eight families that are in line, lined up, ready to, to go through membership dinner. We're going to be doing that pretty soon. We're going to talk about the church and the importance of being part of a church, locking arms with people, living life together, right? Now, arm in arm, hand in hand. We're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. Then we're going to be studying 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Just to let you know, that's where we're going. Man, I'm glad you're here. It's been a different Sunday morning. Kind of a bird's eye view of Exodus, but I hope it's been helpful reiterating the purpose, the themes, who God is, and what that means for us in the new covenant. If you're visiting with us, man, we're so glad you're here. Pray God's blessing in your life. God providentially brought you here today. Pray that you've been encouraged uh, with our music, uh, with teaching. If you got any questions for me, um, please stay after. I'll be the last one to leave. Wednesday night, we have um, summer schedule, 7 to 7 8. You show up at 6, Morgan and I will be here. But we'll probably be the only ones here at 6. So we'll hang out. We'll let you have, clean up or set up. But we'll start Bible study at 7 o'clock. Love for you to come. We have something for children, for students, for adults. Come be a part of that. Adults, we're in 2 Thessalonians. So, anything else? Sign your kids up for a sports camp. If you know if your kids have friends, sign them up. We're teaching basketball, soccer, and, and tennis. But we don't give a rip about that. We want to teach them the Bible and share the gospel with them. So, bring your grand, grandbabies, nieces and nephews, your cousins. Bring them on. We'll teach them. We're doing it Wednesday through Friday. We're doing it 9 to 12. A little different this year. But be good. Anything else? Anybody? We missing anything we need to reiterate? I'm glad you're here. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us and go. We have a, some of you have a day off. Anybody have to work tomorrow? Oh, congratulations. Y'all get to be the hands and feet of Jesus at work, man. To be an example, folks. But we're glad you're here. Hope you have a blessed day today. And for those of you off tomorrow, be praying. We talked about that in small group this morning. Be praying for our people. We've got a lot of people out, a lot of people traveling. So be praying for them that God be gracious. Bring them back to us. We'll be back together on Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.